Welcome back, it's time for Customers Who Click. Today we're diving back into SEO and I welcome as my guest, Brad Smith, the founder of Codeless, a content production company. Brad shares some great actionable tips on how you can give your SEO a bit of a boost, where some opportunities might lie that you've not explored yet and some of the key challenges brands are facing in this space. Without further ado, let's get Brad on now. Hi, Brad, thanks for joining me today. Um, do you want to just quickly introduce yourself, tell us a bit about you, you um, your background and how you got to where you are now? Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me, Will. Uh, I, uh, today, I'm an owner in uh, three content marketing companies. Uh, Codeless is a strategy in content production. Uh, Wordable, we bought about a year ago and rebuilt it and are relaunching it. That helps people move content from somewhere like Google Docs into uh, a CMS. And we do that a lot, as you can imagine. Uh, as a content agency, and then also a PR and distribution link building company called uh, Usurp. I got into that, all this nerdy stuff, uh, years and years and years ago. I think I helped, I was working with my dad's company, and we kind of rebuilt their website, and I started getting into a lot of that, uh, like, nerdy tech stuff. Uh, And then from there, just started working at, like, uh, a travel company and a couple, like, small software things, and then basically parlayed it into uh, uh, a career of this kind of intersection of SEO and content. So that's what kind of led us uh, up to today, I guess. Ah, cool. Okay. Uh, yes, that's good. Um, so what, do, what kind of is your approach to, to SEO? Um, I know you're very, you're very content focused, obviously. Definitely. Yeah, we focus, I guess I would call it like a, a couple subsets uh, of SEO where you might have technical SEO, you might have um, on-page, you might have keyword research, content, uh, link building and PR. Um, so we kind of, we try to stay in our lane as much as possible, but I guess it would be, I guess I'd describe it as like, we do a lot of the content strategy, uh, which, which might include things like site architecture, which is like classic SEO or like classic kind of might fall into like the technical umbrella. Um, but it's usually like content, uh, planning and organization and production for, um, everything from like, uh, more marketable top of the funnel content to like bottom of the funnel. Uh, we actually need to drive some, some leads and sales from this stuff. Uh, and then the, the PR and distribution component as well, because a lot of times we're creating content in really competitive spaces. And if you're in any competitive space uh, of any means, that means you need to be doing something, whether it's uh, for, for distribution. You can't just kind of unfortunately rely on sending out a few tweets or, or an email newsletter or two. You've got to uh, bring a lot more attention to, uh, to that content to actually get it to rank well against super savvy, you know, well-funded competitors. Yeah, I, th- I think it'd be good to dive into that distribution piece actually um, cool. a bit more because I think that probably is where I imagine a lot of people struggle with because like you say, you know, people post that on social media. Um, maybe, you know, I, I, I've worked at companies where they insisted on doing press releases for basically yep. anything. <laughs> and then I think maybe maybe a lot of people struggle there and don't know, don't really know where to go from there. So yeah. Yeah, what, what what would you advise? What's what's the kind of the strategy there? Yeah, definitely. I think one of the important things I try to hammer home with that is know how you're going to distribute it. If you need links, how many links are you going to get and where are you going to get them? Like as you're doing the content planning. So in other words, if we're going to be working on a certain number of articles or if we're going to be working on a couple of really like competitive keywords or something, um, at that time, I need to be looking at like, okay, well, what is it actually going to take me to get this thing to rank well? Uh, and usually that means I need like a lot of traffic, uh, whether that's through paid, like, like, you know, ads or something else. Um, it's going to be, it could be your own channel. So, I mean, think of it like the classic, uh, advertising and promotion, uh, earned, owned and paid. So earned, owned, uh, break your channels down into those, those little buckets and figure out where you're going to get that traffic and that attention. 
uh, as you're doing the content planning, because that'll also help you do things maybe even on the content side to make it easier. So for instance, if I know I need to like uh, try to talk to journalists or pitch something to journalists to get links back to something and get mentions, um, that means I probably need something in the, in the B2B space anyway, if it's more techy, like uh, proprietary data, original like survey and research. I need better graphics and illustrations. I need, I need like the actual assets to go pitch to them. Um, same with advertising, if, but in a different way. So if I'm, if I'm going to run like Facebook ads, that means I need probably need more copywriting in the article. So I need like a catchier, uh, a better angle. I need a catchier headline. I need a really interesting contrarian viewpoint. Um, you need to do things with the content, with whatever you want to promote. You need to do things that are going to lend itself, you know, better to actually bringing in the links you need, the, the, the visitors you need, whatever that might be. Yeah. I mean, I, so I, I just, well, I worked with a PR agency at uh, one of the companies I used to work for. And the things that worked best for us were always the ones that involved stats and surveys mm -hmm. where we could say, yep. so it was, it was in kind of car share, car rental space. So yep. oh, I can't remember exact surveys now, but it was always things around, you know, uh, how many cars, are in your, how many people drive in your household? How many cars do you have? Um, how much time do you spend driving? Uh, yeah. I think there was some stuff around, around like, you know, how, how often do you fuel up the cars? Um, how much do you spend on that? And then taking all this data and, and presenting it away in it, you know, putting an interesting uh, tagline on it or headline on it so that we could sell it into those journalists and say, we've actually got something really important to talk about. And then yeah. they, you know, they love it. But I imagine that might not do so well on Facebook because people might you know that there might be a really interesting headline you get from it but mm -hmm. you know it's not uh, i don't want to say clickbaity but you know there's not that really really powerful headline that a just the average person might look at and go oh cool yeah i need to read that article for sure yeah what's the old saying like people go to facebook not to work uh yeah. they go there to it's like a distraction i mean same with linkedin's like kind of a distraction now too yeah yes we all claim it's like professional and uh, but it's kind of it's kind of like it's kind of like devolved into like Facebook territory where it's it's uh, kind of gossipy. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel I feel like it's got a lot better in the last uh, probably the last year or so. Actually, there was yeah, well, yeah maybe the last year. Um, I feel like even even during lockdowns, you know, those first lockdowns, there was lots and lots of like motivational images being shared. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just like random memes and things. And and yeah, it, yep. it got into this weird space of like, what are we doing here? Um, yep. But I, I definitely feel like this year, the vast majority of what I see on there is uh, either useful content for me or it's, uh, yep. you know, people posting for jobs and things like that, you know, so not too useful yep. for me, but it's still LinkedIn stuff. Totally. Yeah, I think the important point, like you said, is is especially when you're pitching, whether it's even like those, those subtle differences between Facebook and LinkedIn or whether it's, pitching journalists. I think the, the key is also then to have like the actual network to do that. Uh, and again, that's something that's hard. It's taken me like, you know, a decade uh, to do that. So it's not like easy. It's easy now, but it's not easy like at the time, but you really got to like understand uh, that this idea or this angle or this stat post or whatever is going to appeal to these people for these reasons. So you got to already kind of like know that ahead of time. If you're cold pitching people um, to cover something like tomorrow, it's, it's going to be, you could do it, but it's just going to be kind of a struggle because you're going to kind of like bang your head against the wall. It's much easier to, to already know these people uh, yeah. and to already be on friendly terms with them or help them with the story or something else um, to then be able to call in that, you know, quote unquote favor uh, down the line. That, that makes things uh, immensely easier. 
Yeah. Um, you just mentioned, uh, yeah, helping them out with their own story, actually. So I've, I've used tools like, um, like Help a Reporter out. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know that one? Yeah. Um, wh- what do you think of them? Are they, uh, do you find them particularly useful? It's good. I like it. It's, it can be, it depends on your hit rate. Uh, meaning like how many times you act, how many times you have to pitch and like contribute to it versus how many times you actually get mentioned and everything else. Uh, and the only reason I say that is because it can be kind of a time suck, uh, yeah. depending, depending on who it is in your organization that's doing it. So I do know a couple even like good agencies that are, that have got this process down, but I think that's one of the hard things is if you have senior people managing it and trying to pitch stories every day and they're spending whatever, 30 minutes, uh, let's say a 30 minutes a day like pitching stories. And then at the end of the month, you only get two or three mentions. It's kind of like, oh, what was our, what was our cost benefit on that relative to the actual person doing all the work? So if you could figure out a way where more of like a, a, man, a marketing manager is doing it or more junior person's doing it and, and, and able to pitch at high volume and it's not super costly, then I think it's, I think it's um, really good. I, I also think it's a good avenue for companies. Sometimes you have to do things even when it's not super efficient if you just don't have that network to start with. So how do you get that network to start with? Uh, but by doing kind of like the less efficient stuff initially in the early days, um, kind of pushing that like for a bad cliche, pushing that like, you know, boulder up the hill to, to try to get some momentum going. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, if you're getting an intern, well, yeah, an intern or, or just a, a junior person in the company to do it, it probably helps to be able to say, you know, you've got the, the freedom with this. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe you sign off for, the, for like a while, but, but you get to that point where you say, right, you know, you know how to phrase things. Uh, maybe a junior PR person, for example, someone who yep. knows how to phrase things can basically write a quote for the CEO. Um, and for a while that needs to be signed off, but then you get to that point where they can just, they can just send them because you know that they're actually, totally. you know, they're capable of doing it. Yeah, definitely. Even prep them ahead of time. Meaning like, can you give them like a quote unquote library or a spreadsheet of like, here's some related articles and ideas. Here are some related angles to these ideas. Um, to kind of help give them like something to actually pitch or to tweet. So that way they have like, they have the crux of the, you know, the story and they have like some of the background and context, but they're able to just kind of customize that each time they pitch something. Um, usually the problem with those people is they don't have that, that background or context knowledge and they don't always understand how like the space works, uh, in detail. You know, they, they kind of understand it from like a tactical perspective, but they don't really get the, the bigger picture. And so, um, Prepping them ahead of time, I think, helps a lot. And then kind of running it like we've been talking, running it in a way that uh, it's like, okay, how many did you pitch? How long did it take you? What did you actually get from it? Like trying to, to quantify it and, and actually manage it. Don't just kind of let it run for three months uh, in the background and then be like, oh, yeah, well, we, did we get anything from that? Yeah. <laughs> which, uh, which sounds stupid, but like, you know, companies do that all the time. So Companies do it, right? You know, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's that whole like uh, other people are doing it, so we should do it. Yeah. Right. And it and it must yeah, be exactly. working. And and there's there's probably an element of people not not caring, but it's not their KPI, right? So they yep. they just assume it's working. I I had a chat with someone the other day, um, and he we were kind of talking about selling into companies, and and he was saying they've got a couple of clients where um the 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 actual stakeholder doesn't seem to really care. Yeah, you know, it's like the the tool is useful for generating more revenue, but revenue is not the KPI for the person who is actually in charge of this, right? So that person just is happy to leave it running, 
but then yeah. eventually, yeah, you, you'll probably get some new new who comes in and says, well, what is this? What are we paying for? What are we getting from it? Um, yeah. So that, that junior person's going to get a new manager at some point who says, how do you spend your time? And they say, well, I spent eight hours a week uh, doing outreach to to these these journalists, these PR opportunities. Yeah. Cool. What do we get from it? Uh, you know, maybe one or two uh, mentions a month or something yep. like that. Yeah. Definitely. I think it, that becomes harder to like the larger organizations you work with. And uh, it's, you, you think they would be more like a well-oiled machine with more people and more funding, uh, but it's, it's usually the opposite. Uh, we've worked with some big companies that are extremely organized and it's usually, and the, the common denominators are always like, there's less people in, or there's like the least amount of people involved as possible in something. Like you said, though, the, the key is having that, uh, you know, whatever internal champion or, or stakeholder that is bought in, that is 100% bought into what you guys are doing. But then it's like, you know, if, if you're doing a status call, is there one other person in the status call or is there like 10? Uh, if there's 10, then it's going to be like hard even to get anything out the door. But if there's like one and they're really good and they're on it, uh, then it becomes, it becomes like a multiplier. But uh, yeah, that's, it's funny, like you spend with, with smaller, medium-sized companies, we, we tend to focus more on like the tactics. And then with like the larger organizations, it's almost more like just uh, navigating political stuff and like help it, helping them like kind of get out of their own way in a, in a, in a, in a, in a you know, as much as you can. Um, so it's, yeah, it's just totally different challenges in a, in a weird way. If, it'd be easy to just like put your head down and, uh, you know, pitch journalists all day and all that kind of stuff. But there's usually a lot of other hoops you have to jump through to get to that point. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah, like was what I said about uh, basically having the authority to just write a quote and send it. Yep. Right. I, uh, I used to work for uh, a startup owned by Europe Car, the, the car rental company. Yeah, yeah. And well, so when I joined, Europe Car was, I, I think, the majority owner, but but just from an investment point of view, or, or maybe... Maybe it was just off the majority. I can't remember. Uh, and later on, it kind of fully purchased the company. But earlier on, when I was there, um, we had quite a bit of freedom with the PR. Um, sometimes we got the founder to sign it off. Sometimes it was just the UKMD. Um, and often it was just me saying, I'm happy with this. And the MD going, yeah, sure, just just go with it, um, yeah. which is great. When Europe Car got involved, suddenly everything had to go to the Europe Car's... Uh, uh, PR team, internal PR yeah. team to approve. And then that was adding, uh, and their, their team was based in France, which there's, you know, obviously there's the cultural difference uh, in, in how we approach things, uh, you know, different media, um, but also just that time delay on things as well. You know, having yeah. to wait 24, 48 hours to get something signed off. Um, and if that person's away, nothing happens. Totally. I think I see that a lot more in bigger companies, especially, I suppose, where they do have, uh, if they're publicly listed, for example, they do really have to be careful. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it can go a little bit too far and there's just all these checks at every single stage before even the smallest thing can, can actually get, just get executed. For sure. And yeah, I was just going to say, I, I totally agree. I think it, that problem gets compounded today because everyone's working remotely. So you, when you have asynchronous communication, Kind of like you're saying with the, with a time zone change, you're not able to like, uh, or, or you know, you're not able to like walk down the hall to get approval for something. You got to wait like eight hours or like a full day or two, and um, and and that's where 
we, we've been a remote company for a while. And so it, a lot of it comes down to like better systems, processes, uh, not like organizational structure, not in the sense of like, uh, like a, a corny, like org chart. That's like all fancy, but more just like who can make decisions other than, uh, the owner, you know, or in my case, like who, who, who in the organization can take it and, and know that like, I'm going to back them, you know, 99% of the time. Uh, I think that's, those things aren't always ironed out. And then when you add on time zone changes, people not working together, it, it becomes a, a cha- it doesn't need to be a challenge, but it becomes a challenge because, because internally they're not kind of like built for that. They're built for like this different animal. It's like a cha- I, I have a, one of, we have a cha- chase bank and they're, um, I guess they're fine, but they were like awful during the pandemic. Cause it was like everything in their business model was built to directing customers into a local branch to get something done. None of it was built for like, online communication, call in, email in, uh, send a message through their app. Like they had all those things, but it would be like a four hour delay. It'd be like the easiest things that you couldn't get done and you, ha- you had to go to a, an internal branch. So in other words, like the whole business model was set up for something, you know, other than what it was being asked to do. And it just, you're, you're never gonna, there's only so much you can do to, uh, to write that ship from, uh, from a marketing perspective. You know, you, you gotta, sometimes you get, I'm happy to talk about this. But sometimes you gotta get creative and like, color outside the lines and and you know sometimes ask for permission and or was it ask for forgiveness instead of permission yeah that, that old adage sometimes you got to like get a little creative otherwise your hands are going to be tied yeah yeah i mean I've, I've definitely had occasions in startups where you know if, if, if things are getting a bit slow you just start to get a bit scrappy with it and and you just get it done so particularly when yeah. development's required right um yeah you know this isn't the most extreme example but i remember it was back at that that startup as well um, we wanted to run SMS campaigns, but we had no SMS functionality built into anything or integrated anywhere. So yeah. every time we wanted to send one, my boss and I would export the list from the from CRM uh, from our CMS, import it into the SMS tool, send the campaign. Right? It you know it's a little bit scrappy, and in bigger bigger companies you couldn't get away with it because um, there's also some I, I guess there is like data protection things to be <laughs> to consider. Yeah. yeah. Um, but for us, it worked and it, it just meant we just got on with it, right? And then, uh, yeah, it was never an issue. Um, but what a, a really good example, and I know we're, I guess we're moving off topic a little bit, um, but one of the best examples I, know, I, I can think of of where people have just had the permission, like blanket permission to just get on with stuff is Oreo. Um, and the, uh, I don't know which team it was, I guess the, the, I think it was a social media agency, I think who did the, uh, you can always dunk in the dark when the lights went off in the Super Bowl. Um, okay. That's probably like eight, nine years ago or something now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, they they came out with that within, I think within about half an hour of it happening. They got this on social media. And yeah. I, I don't know, well, I don't know what time it's, what, what time's it on in the States? It's, it's during the day, isn't it? On a Sunday. Uh, that's a good question. It, it's like a, like early afternoon it's kind of a, a long uh drawn yeah. out event so i think all the pregame all the pregame starts maybe like early afternoon and then it kind of runs into the night typically yeah but on a sunday as well so yeah exactly when the majority of people aren't working so you can't yeah. you're not going to get permission from someone to to sign that off um yeah so the ability to say like you guys know what we do you know the brand we're we're happy if you just go with go with your gut on this i suppose um, totally. Yeah, I think I think the, I mean even to, to like merge this topic with our previous one that we were talking about. That's the related to like distribution and link building. Uh, one of the one of the 
this might all sound in theory like, oh yeah, that's, that's super easy. I realize the common problem, like uh, we, we should totally give our teams more leeway, whatever. But then it's like, well, if you think about it, a junior person on the team or a junior PR person, even using something like Haro, they're probably pitching it under someone else in the organization because like no one really cares to talk to junior people. Uh, like journalists and, and whoever, like people that matter aren't going to like talk to like the most junior person in the organization. They know they're not going to get any like value out of that. So often what you're doing with Haro is you're pitching it under like the, you know, in a small, in a small company, like the owner, CEO, you're pitching it under like the director of marketings, like the, the people that have been in the industry for a while. And so then it's like, well, now you're ghostwriting for these people. Uh, and now those people are going to care a lot about what you say and how you say it and all that kind of stuff. So even as, even when it comes it sounds, all this stuff sounds simple in theory, but then when you actually go to do it and do it at scale. So if you're going to go straight under someone and pitch like hundreds of people, some topic, uh, that's where like, obviously, you know, organizations get a little touchy about things, understandably. So again, it comes back to like, well, what are you actually doing to like provide the support and infrastructure to get that to happen? So what are you, are you giving them like story ideas to start with, to customize? You've already, like you pre-approved, like what are you doing if, if you have to, produce a new piece of content, publish it, and you need 50 really good links to it within the first three months to get it to rank well, like you got to have a strategy and a, and a plan in place before all this stuff goes live to actually yeah. get it done. And I think that's where when you get into the weeds of it a little bit, you start noticing all the problems. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think in, in that sort of situation, you're probably not using uh, helper reports or out because uh, you're going to get, you might get one link from that. Um, yeah. Whereas like, like you say, if you, if you need to build 50 links really quickly, that's not the solution, um, right? And I think a lot, but I think, I think a lot of the, those requests do say, if you are, uh, uh, what is it? If you're the PA or or the agency involved, we we yep. don't want you to say uh, we're interested, uh, like we're interested. Let's get the, this person involved, or let's, you know, we yep. want to pitch this. We just need this person to sign off. They just say you need to provide the quote. Like it's just you know they just want it one email done. Yeah. Job done. If they like it, they'll use it. There's no back and right. forth. Um, so I suppose from that point of view, whether it's a junior person doesn't matter because um, you're sending over the final kind of the final piece to them. Yep. And as far as they're concerned, that that senior person signed off. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you a bit about was um, kind of recommendations and like comparison websites and uh, how you can go about you know getting featured on them. I suppose. You know, is it is it just a relationship case or is it is it like a technique? Yeah, the good news is uh, I like this sounds stupid, but just like understand what people want and what they're going to get out of it. So before anyone's going to help you, whether it's a journalist or whether it's like the owner of a of a like review comparison website, like what what do they want? So what is in the case of a review comparison website, their business model is. Uh, essentially advertising and it's advertising maybe through like uh, banners and that sort of stuff. But it's, it's primarily driven more by cost per action by like uh, actually driving leads and sales to companies. And so if you are pitching these people and if you're trying to get in front of them and uh, you are offering uh, a really good product, uh, an easy way for them to get a hold of it and review it. And then a really compelling uh, split in terms of commission or revenue, then then your job is easy. You know, and so so those three things again. This is like the the pitching part is the easy part. Uh, like finding their email, like doing all that kind of stuff is very tactical. It's, it's very easy. The hard part is like the good product, 
the easy way for them to go hold of it uh, and test it and get their hands on it, whether it's like e-commerce or software, software is easier, but e-commerce, like how can we get them a product to actually review? Um, and then also help, help them understand like how your product is different or better than the other things they've reviewed for these reasons. And it, it needs to be kind of legit. And that's where like the good, the good product thing comes back into play. So if you're, your product that might be the best in that category overall, but how is it better than like the top one or two for a particular audience? So yeah. is it, is it budget? Is it uh, a specific feature set? Like what are those unique things? And then that's, that's the hard part is getting, getting them to, you know, to bite, so to speak on, on those things. Yeah. Cause a, a lot of these articles will say, well, so I, I bought these, uh, like earpods, um, Actually, I'm not sure these ones were recommended. The ones I bought were on a on a on a comparison. The ones I bought before were on a comparison site, yep. um, just in the budget section, and they were highly rated. So I bought them. Yeah. Uh, not so great. Returned them. Bought some different ones. Um, <laughs> but that that was split out into uh, like budget options, luxury options, uh, I, and I think there might have been a couple of other categories on there. Yeah, um, exactly. So like you said, that's a really w- easy way of saying, well, we don't have to, com- like these these ones I'm wearing, uh, using now, I think they're Anchor, right? They don't have to compete with Bose or Sennheiser yep. because they're, you know, it's a completely different category. They're going to compete with uh, Taltronics or, yep. or, you know, some of these other like good but cheaper brands. Exactly. And they just think of like the use cases. So like, when does someone use headphones? Like these headphones are great for traveling because they, I don't know, block out the engine noise on an airplane or these headphones are great for running because they're water resistant and they hook around your ear and so they're going to stay on your ear and not fall off when you're when you're running and you can use it the battery's extra long it's like five plus hours so you'll easily get like your sunday morning runs in i'm making all this up off the top of my head but you kind yeah. of know like that's that's how you like come up with those hooks or those ideas and the hard part from a marketing perspective is usually again like is the is the product you're working with actually that differentiated and good to begin with because marketing and marketers like don't always, we should, but we don't always get control over that kind of stuff, like product decisions. Um, so making sure that you're like, it's easier to, to grow a big or well-known brand or product than it is like a smaller unknown one for, for a lot of these reasons. And so I would, I would 100% recommend work with comparison sites as much as possible because they are really good at bottom of the funnel SEO. Like we're really good at the commercial intent type stuff and knowing how to sell things and how to move things. Um, and they also often are fine being a lot more aggressive. So you can like, you can like tr- work with them at arm's length from your brand and they might be doing things on their site or from an SEO perspective that are a lot more aggressive and risky than you guys might be uh, comfortable with. But that, but you, again, you gotta keep an arm's length and you kind of, you're essentially using each other, not in a, you know what I mean, not in a bad way, but in a in a productive, like professional way. Because again, they get you, they get a, a cut from it, and then you get uh, a lot more customers, almost from like a free channel, in essence. Well, performance channel. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. For, free, free, in that you don't internally have to really manage it all that much. Other than like, you might have like one person who needs to manage like affiliates, but you don't really need like a department or an agency to like do this for you to manage these, you know, this external channel for you. Yeah, the, not a huge amount of upfront cost, except potentially right. sending one of your products out to each website that you want to review it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, at the very least, you're getting, you know, links for all those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, is it easy to find? Uh, is it easy to find these opportunities like before they happen? So, you know, obviously, uh, I mean, I don't do this sort of thing, so I've never really looked into it, but. You know, I see at the end of 
2020, you were getting articles saying the top 10 things for 2021. Yep. And so if you if you want to be on these pages, is there a way to get involved before they go live? Or is it a case of seeing them when they're live and saying, we should be on this list because we've got an awesome product? Yeah, to your point, I think if you plan ahead, it, it is easy. So look, uh, look up those examples, whether it's like the top XX ideas or, or products or whatever for the next year, just do the previous year's uh, searches and then look at who already who's, who's ranking for that. Um, another example with more comparison and review type sites is like, look at who's actually reviewing and comparing products. So search for your category, like best headphones, best travel headphones, uh, this brand of Bose headphones versus this other brand of, I think you said Anchor. Is that the one yeah. you're using? Yeah. yeah so, so like Bose, whatever model versus Anchor or whatever alternative model. Look at who's ranking. Look at who's spending money on ads too. Uh, and, and those are like usually your first place to, to go to pitch. And you can go, you don't have to just stop at the first page, even though like you, you, you definitely want the people on the first page because that's where like the bulk of your actual sales are going to come from eventually. But just from an outreach perspective, you can go down like, you know, to two, two pages worth per keyword. So you could come up with a ton of these keyword ideas and then pull the, the top 10 or 20 sites ranking for those. And then all of a sudden you have a, you have a list of 50 to hundred sites um, that you could start reaching out to. It's kind of a numbers game. So again, uh, a certain number of those are going to be interested, but, um, but yeah, if you start early enough and you you, you just go about it in this way of almost like replicating what your users would find or your customers would find when they're doing these searches. Um, that's usually the easiest way to kind of go about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, uh, I think it's a really good idea. And, uh, you know, it reminds me of um, one an episode we, I did quite a while ago now. I uh, can't remember what number it was. Um, but it was all about uh, this this idea of dominating page one, mm-hmm. but not necessarily with your own links. Yep. So it'd be saying, you know, well, there are also websites, I, I suppose, or, you know, search terms where people are searching for um, reviews of a product or comparisons of a product. And they're probably unlikely to come to your website for that because... Yeah. All right, they might. Yeah, if if I'm doing reviews of Sennheiser uh, or Bose uh, headphones, I'm not going to go to the Bose website to have a look at them. Yep, <laughs> a little bias. There will be customer reviews there, but yeah. um, I, I'm probably looking for a detailed review. I'm probably looking for an article review, not a customer yep. review. Um, so it's how do you make sure you're on page one uh, for that? So finding the best. The, the strongest brand there. I suppose if, you, if you're doing it for a specific uh, product, it's going to be on page one anyway. But it's those you know comparison websites, right? The ones who compare earbuds or or whatever microphones. Yep. And making sure that if they've got a top ten article on there, that you're on that top top ten article. Yeah, exactly. And then how do you how do you get yourself to move up in that in their list even? So how how do you like? There's, on different websites, there's different ways, but like, it, for example, in software, if it's like Captera or G2 or one of those, like, well, you can also sponsor listings, and you can like paid listings. So yes, how, how do you also get more reviews? Can you have can you can you send an email to your recent customers to tell them, hey, will you go mind driving or adding? You know, not driving. Uh, customers don't talk like that. Marketers, spammy uh, yeah. marketers <laughs> do. Uh, but like, hey, can you guys go leave a review on if you if you like the product, can you go leave a review on Amazon or? G2, here's the link to our, our listing, whatever, and drive more customer reviews to get yours, your product to like rise in the rankings or 
Um, or yeah, can you sponsor something and can, can you do both? Can you sponsor a listing to get better placement? And then can you also drive customer reviews up organically? It's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a bunch of little, uh, Googles in a sense when you're doing it like that, like all these little satellite spaces where, and the good news is SEO in those spaces, SEO on Amazon is like Google 1.0. It's like the easiest, most straightforward keyword stuffing type type uh, mentality. So it's not as you know complicated or difficult as actually ranking on Google is today. Yeah. Yeah. That was another one that was mentioned. It was, uh, you know, for a lot of products, the transactional searches are going to bring up Amazon. Yep. Right. So you're not going to fight Amazon. You're not going to beat Amazon for that search term. No. So yeah. make sure you are that first Amazon search term. Exactly. You know, you, you're going to, you're going to take a hit on the, on the revenue because you've got to do the rev share with, with Amazon and all that. But, um, but it's better than people going to someone else. For sure. Especially with the big, what I would say with Amazon too is like, you're going to lose the, you're going to lose the big categories. So best headphones, like good luck. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be Amazon. It's going to be wire cutter. It's going to be like all these really large savvy brands that you're not going to beat in most cases, unless you're already like Bose, you know, then, then you can kind of like try to muscle your way in. But uh, it's, it's better if you're small or, you know, newish upstart to like not even compete with those. So leverage those, like we're saying, like pay your 30% tax. That's, that is what, that's the cost of doing business, you know, like pay yeah. your, pay your 30% tax, get, do as much as you can to get up because the sales from that channel are going to be worth it. So you're going to make up in volume what you're losing on margin. Um, but the good news is you can, you could do all the long tail stuff still. So like Bose model X, whatever versus anchor model X, that con that keyword is probably not being targeted by Amazon. Like it's so small and so niche and they're so big. They have, and their, their product listings are not well suited to like editorial based content like that. Um, so how can you find, so then your job is to find like a thousand other ideas like that. And so obviously that's hard, but like, can you find a hundred good, you know, at least a hundred or more, uh, and make up the long tail traffic, um, from, from that perspective. So you gotta, you gotta like target it from a few different angles. If you're not already big, if you don't already have a huge budget, otherwise that that's pretty much the only way you're going to try to muscle in with some of those really big savvy brands. Yeah. And then, uh, uh like we we're talking about at the start, really, you've got to provide the right content. For it. So if you're doing, if yeah. you are Bose, for example, and you are going to do an article on Bose Model X versus Sennheiser Model X, you've, oh sorry, if you're targeting that keyword, you've got to make sure you've got the content that that actually provides the answer. Yeah, right? exactly. There's, there's no point just having your, your product listing page ranking for that because people will come into it. They're looking for that information, that comparison. They're just going to yeah. bounce. Often today too, we see uh, with that specific point, if you're trying to use a product listing and all the other pages that are already ranking are more comparison driven, um, it's almost like you have a glass ceiling where no matter how big your brand is, you're always going to have a trouble actually ranking that article well because yeah. it doesn't match or align with search intent. So we even see today, it's like they're almost like keeping you on page two. Uh, even if you could be like the biggest brand in the world, if it's the wrong type of content in the first place and it's not matching search intent, it's not matching what, what's actually showing up already uh it's it's almost never going to work so you, you do need that's where like your to your point you do need a lot of unique content and in this case too like we're all talking really really bottom of the funnel stuff so which is good because this is where the money comes from this is like this is what converts and then from there like the bigger picture content strategy is well how do we get more people into these articles in the first place and that top of the funnel more problem education based stuff 
takes on a whole different kind of meaning. But but definitely like at this stage, um, you, you need a lot of unique content to rank for the even in e-commerce, it doesn't matter what space we're talking. Um, you need things targeting search intent for all these long tail, you know, variations. The good news, the one good news, if you are replicating a lot of this content is it can be felt formulaic. So this is where from a content perspective, we recommend like have a template, so to speak, for your model X versus model Y type page, have, like structure all those articles exact same, and then just do a ton of them. And the writers you need and the people that you that you need to produce that stuff, um, it kind of it becomes like rephrasing, even if they're doing it really well. They're, they're just kind of rephrasing and reusing a lot of the stuff that's already there. So it doesn't, it doesn't have to cost you a lot internally, even if you're creating a hundred, you know, hundreds of articles and more or less the same idea. Yeah, you, you don't have to treat treat each one as its own individual article. Uh, it's it's just a yeah. it's a quick template. You don't need subject matter experts. Yeah, we pay an article, you know, a, a finance writer or cybersecurity writer a lot of money because it's a really hard space, and you need someone who like actually knows what they're doing. If if you're just having people rewrite one really good article, uh, it's it, you could do it, you know, really on the cheap. Yeah. What do you, what do you think are the biggest challenges in SEO at the moment? Uh, there's a few. I think one of the biggest challenges, kind of a recurring theme that we maybe touched on a little bit. One of the biggest recur- uh, challenges is ranking, actually ranking for things that are going to move the needle. And the reason I say that is because, especially in the last year or two, uh, with some some more recent algorithm shifts, big brands tend to benefit a lot of times when this happens. And uh, and big brands often are e- can more easily rank across multiple categories. So even if, like, I don't know if you've seen this, but on our point of like review and comparison sites, you now have brands like Forbes doing like comparisons and review type articles on categories that are like totally seemingly totally random, but they're ranking really well. And that makes it hard for like everyone else, like the small and medium sized companies in this, in these spaces to compete because they're just so big. And the, the problem from an SEO perspective is that ranking like number six isn't good enough. If, unless you break into the top three, you're not, you're going to see like a tiny sliver of traffic. So this is like the click-through distribution of the content actually ranking on a SERP, on a search as a result page. So in other words, like 70, 80% of the clicks are going to go to like the top three ranking. And then like the remaining 10% are going to go to like the fourth and fifth position. And then from there, you have 10% to split between like the bottom five. So breaking into those top three to five positions is everything. And uh, it's getting harder to do that for small and medium-sized companies. Um, for a variety of reasons, it's getting more expensive, meaning you have to be better and savvier and more aggressive and all these things. And then you also have things like Google is taking away positions from people. So Google is answering queries. Like if you said how to, if you type uh, in how yeah. to make an old, how to make an old fashioned, uh, that recipe is going to show up on the SERP and people don't even have to click into your site or another site to actually get the answer to that query. It's yeah. like, that's probably illegal. It's probably, you know, you're probably, it's probably like a copyright issue where they're, they're scraping some big website, food, food.com, foodnetwork.com. They're scraping their website and, and Whoa. pulling essentially, you know what I mean? It, it gets into a gray area, but we don't, we can't do anything about it. Yeah. I, th- I think the argument is that they're, they're providing a snippet from the article and the link to the article is right there. So, you know, the, yeah. a lot of the time you can get like the full recipe, for example, um, some articles there's there's too much content, like too many bullet points, yeah. and it can't Google can't display them all. 
So I think their argument there would be that, you know, they're providing enough information to make the to make the user go, yes, this is the article that I want to read, and therefore they should yeah. click into it. And it right. is still the top result. And in fact, yeah. normally, normally it's uh, so it'll be the top result will be that snippet with the link. And then I think normally there's actually that full search result either directly underneath or within the top kind of two or three. Yeah. You'll you'll also they'll have uh, paid listings on top of that. Um, you'll have blended searches today where in between some of the stuff, you might also have like videos showing up. So all of a sudden, like you're... Yeah, Twitter. Yeah, exactly. Your text content that's showing up in theory in position five, uh, you might have to scroll like a little bit to get there to actually see it. You know what I mean? Like all above the fold is is getting kind of monopolized. And I think that's that's the challenge is like th- this space is getting harder and more competitive. And, uh, and if you're not... Again, if you if you're not if you don't know what you're doing, I, so the, the recommendation I always make is like, don't even try to fight. The, going back to the Amazon example, don't even try to fight things you can't win. Like if you can't if you if you don't know how you're going to get in the top three for something, whether from a competition perspective, content perspective, link building PR perspective, uh, just target things that you can because it's it's going to take in some cases years to actually break into the top three. In some cases, for those really if you do it all, you know. Yeah, so especially when you're smaller, like t- go for the quick, well, maybe not quick, but go for the the quicker wins. Um, yep, and kind of try and scoop all that up. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like a catch twenty two problem where you're not going to rank for the really competitive stuff until you're a big website, but you can't become a big website until you start ranking for stuff. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of this like chicken and or chicken and egg problem. Maybe is a better way of describing it, where it's like, well, let's rank for what we can rank for today over the next year. Um, and then get our website to become a bigger website, and then we'll shift back and, and go after the, the other stuff later. Yeah, and there are also, I, I guess, another problem is there are probably a lot, of, a lot of companies who actually are not targeting the organic listings at all, and they they don't care about getting their own website onto page one. They just want to be the best on Amazon and the best on mm-hmm. those review websites, so yep. that the reviews either drive people to Amazon or to their website. And that's yep. pretty much the business model. Um, you know, I imagine things like like Taltronics, um, like uh, Earfun was the other headphones I got, and uh, these are Anchor, right? Uh, I, I doubt any of them are putting that much effort into their own SEO. They just yep. want to drive as many people to Amazon as they can because that's the sales channel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's and that works uh, to a point. So what you find is that you... You could build a good business off of it. You can build like a seven, eight figure business off like one channel. But the bigger you get or like the bigger you want to get or the more SKUs you're coming out with and everything else, the quicker you realize like we need A, we need more channels. B, we need repeat customers. And repeat customers are hard to get on Amazon um, unless unless your thing is like super consumable. Um, unless there's some built-in need to need to, to buy the same thing every single month like maybe supplements or something, that'd be like a good play. Amazon makes it easy. Yeah, yeah. But if you're like, uh, I, I don't know, if I buy like a pair of shoes, I might not need another new pair of shoes for like a year or two. Yeah. Uh, so so how do I get, or how does like uh, Nike or Adidas get me back to their brand? Or how do they get me to buy a t-shirt from them now? Um, yeah. Like how do you cross sell or repeat sale? So so from, from a, you could definitely build a good business in that like, um, like I said, like you could do, you could do a good amount of money on there, but then the problem becomes, well, if we're going to go to like, if we're going to go beyond that, if we're going to like actually mature into like a large organization, 
we need we need multiple channels we need email we need like a lot of other things kind of happening and that's when you need your own website and you need to drive people to your own website and then all these things become cost prohibitive because if you're just getting 30 percent whack off the top of your at each sale you have less margin and profitability to work with and then you have less to reinvest typically in marketing and advertising which is where a lot of people start cutting because uh, you can't cut an inventory or you shouldn't you can't really yeah. cut in customer support uh, or you shouldn't um, so oper- operations, you're spending a lot of money, rightfully so. So what, what tends to get cut, uh, sales and advertising and marketing. So it's the, e- you know, quote unquote, easiest spend to cut. Cause it doesn't always contribute tomorrow. Like a, a piece of content we're talking about, uh, like model X versus model Y it's, it's a long-term play. It's not like a, you know, it's going to drive sales tomorrow. It's going to drive sales over the next few years, not with, not within the first six months though. And that's the, that's the bullet that people don't want to, you know, bite or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, cool. Awesome stuff. Uh, is anything else on SEO you, you wanted to mention? I think those, yeah, I think those are the biggest points. It's just, it's just getting harder and you kind of, you, I think you just need to go into it with eyes wide open. Like you can't, you can't go into this thinking like, Oh, uh, you know, generic 500 word blog articles that worked 10 years ago are going to work today. Or, we're just going to like have one person do all this work. Uh, it's just, you got to like really know what you're getting into or just keep doubling down on ad spend, double down on Amazon, double down on those things until you can turn around and invest, you know, properly in, in SEO. Cause it's, it's uh, only getting more difficult. The good news is long-term SEO, I think is a lot more profitable. Advertising is only going to get more expensive. Uh, yeah. and, and SEO long-term, it, it doesn't have the same, you don't have to keep investing the same amount uh, you know, year three, as you did year one, uh, it, it start that that flywheel starts to take off, and it does become more profitable long term if you stick with it. You know. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Cool. Um. So just before we finish, is there anyone in the, the kind of D two C marketing space that you'd want to go for lunch with? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, I was just at a conference where they're buying and selling a lot of brands like that, and. Uh, I, I'm not an expert on the space, but I have been watching from afar all the aggregators uh, like Thrasio and some of those that are just buying up a ton of companies and um, a, a ton of like direct-to-consumer companies. And then they're also doing... Uh, they, they're taking on a lot of money to do these things. And there's yeah. also a lot of supply chain issues in the world right now. So it would probably be one... Of, and there was a really good thread by... I forgot who... who who did it on Twitter, like just in the last two weeks that I was talking about some of these potential problems that these, these type of companies are going to be facing. But, uh, I think it would be probably one of those types of companies. Cause it's just, uh, it's such a bold, aggressive move, but because of all these supply chain issues that we're about to run into and that we, we have been dealing with, uh, operationally, that seems very difficult to, to manage a ton of new brands all at one time in yeah. a global pandemic with all these, potential supply chain issues uh, and then on top of like raising a lot of debt that you have to keep paying every month so uh, it's just uh it's that that probably someone like that i guess um someone who's like on the front lines of trying to manage all that stuff at the same time because it seems it seems very <laughs> complex to me yeah yeah it could be an interesting chat yeah uh yeah, yeah what, I, what was going through your head when you decided to buy 10 e-commerce brands at the same time in theory, it's awesome. In theory, it makes sense. Uh, adding in all these complexities and adding in, like in the US, for example, we have, you were just talking a minute ago about uh, off air about the uh, petrol, I believe you call it, the, in yeah. the UK, yeah, the gas petrol. issues. <laughs> and, um, and then on, in, the, in the US, we have like, a hun- I don't know, like 100, some 
crazy amount of containers and stuff, a hundred like ships, not containers, uh, just like sitting outside the port of LA, which is where a lot of stuff comes in from Asia. Um, and then I was talk- talking to some of these e-commerce people and they were saying, oh, you should buy Christmas presents now because they're not going to have anything. Like they're, everything's going to run out of inventory because of all these supply chain issues. So yeah, I, it just seems like such a, a complicated mess that's happening and, and about to get worse, not, not better. So that, that would probably be really interesting is like, how do you, how do you actually manage that? You know, it seems like such a hard problem. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, cool. So just finally, um, have you got a couple of, a couple of tools, marketing tools that you use daily or weekly that you'd, you'd, you'd uh, recommend to people? Yeah, for sure. I'm going to selfishly say wordable, uh, but we do legitimately use it every day. Um, we, we also, we were a customer of it. That's how we like, we, we've been a customer of it for years. Um, as a content agency, we, we create something like 300 articles a month. Every time we go to upload, format, optimize a piece of content in our, in our website, in our content management tool, it takes like 30, 60 minutes per article. Multiply that by like, you know, who, how, who you're paying to do all that work, uh, times a couple, you know, even a, a few dozen or a couple hundred articles that you, you end up spending a lot of time on recurring tedious kind of work. And so with Wordable, we're hoping to like, um, automate a lot of that stuff. So that way, like once something gets approved, it just automatically uh, goes into your site and goes live. Um, other tools we use, I use Ahrefs a lot, as you can imagine. Um, I'm still old school and use Google Sheets or like, you know, spreadsheets a lot yeah. uh, for doing like keyword planning, all that kind of stuff. We have better systems of the company to like actually manage real work. But from a planning perspective, I like old school stuff um, just because I, I get shiny object syndrome. <laughs> um we use we I use Market Muse a lot internally too. So that'd be the other one that we use a lot, probably on a daily basis. We use Market Muse to help better understand search intent and make sure the content we're creating actually lines up with that, uh, with with what the SERPs are telling us and rank you know rank faster in an ideal world. And then on that PR side, we use um, Buzzstream still for a lot of outreach and okay. similar tools like Mailshank. Mailshake. Uh, we use a couple of those, and then we also just use old school email like we when you're building a network and stuff that means you you gotta actually know people uh and so just you know just one-on-one emails we use a lot too because we we want to like keep a a network going and and make sure that we're helping other people so that when we need you know help in the form of coverage or something that we can we can get it so yeah cool awesome all right great stuff thanks brad thank you will appreciate it thanks for having me one of the key takeaways from this for me is that there is often a need for speed in SEO to really take advantage of a lot of the really good opportunities. It might be the need to quickly produce some content in reaction to an event, you know, like the Oreo example, or it might be the need to provide a quick quote to a journalist or a blogger. Someone or several people need the ability and the freedom to respond to quickly and easily. There's so many great opportunities out there, but if you put loads of red tape in place and force employees to verify something through multiple layers of bureaucracy, of course you're not going to get anywhere. If you'd like to hear more from Brad about this, you can find them on LinkedIn or head over to getcodeless.com and check out their website. If you've got any podcast questions, feedback, or guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or reach out to me on LinkedIn. Next up, I've got Drew Hemmel joining me, and we're going to be talking about SMS, email marketing, and how you can better engage and retain your customers. But until then, keep those customers clicking. Mm-hmm.